you have problems with um, sludge, mm -hmm. solid waste, recycling. All of these are cumulative impacts that degrade the water quality, pollute the air, and also, you know, impact the land and the health and the quality of the community. Mm -hmm. So I felt very compelled to run. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Sustaining with Shana, a show where I will share all the amazing and exciting works of sustainability happening across the eastern foothills of the Appalachian Mountains to the lush farmlands of southeastern Pennsylvania. By celebrating our community, we can help to bridge the gap between local and international sustainability endeavors. Today's guest is Tara Zarinsky. Tara is a Northampton County Councilwoman, Solar Energy Consultant, and Adjunct Professor, and is turning her environmental activism into political action. She wants to make a bigger impact in her community and is running for Pennsylvania's 138th House District seat. Hear more about her journey into politics and how key issues like hydraulic fracturing, sewage sludge, aka biosolids, and pipeline production play a key role in her campaign. Next week, on September the 7th, or Labor Day, Tara's campaign is hosting a virtual concert series called EcoJam at 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you care about climate change and love live music and want to support Tara's campaign, this is the event for you. To get your tickets, go to her campaign's ActBlue account. If you would like to find out more about her campaign, donate, or volunteer, please visit her website, Instagram, or Facebook pages. To find out more about where you can go to visit her website, we have links in the Sustaining with Shana's episode 11 posting over on our website. Before we meet Tara, hear an update about the podcast. the Sustaining with Shano platform, I strive to help others lead a more sustainable lifestyle through the podcast and weekly newsletters. Sometimes the information I share might be a bit touchy or a sore subject with you as the listeners. I share this information to provide you with a new or different perspective on a topic or issue that is of interest to you. One of these issues is racism, especially the interwoven relationship institutional racism has with climate change and environmental destruction. Climate change systematically affects the BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, and people of color community far more. We must recognize that we will never effectively combat climate change without first bearing the same burden of our black, brown, and indigenous brothers and sisters first. For the last week, we have been hearing all the anxiety and trauma around the shooting of Jacob Blake and also protesters being murdered in Kenosha, Wisconsin. How can the BIPOC community address and tackle climate change as an existential threat when a more pressing, more present, more lethal threat like racism needs to be addressed first? I invite you to listen and ask how you can support and fight for our black and brown brothers and sisters. 
we cannot solve climate change without healing our own internalized wounds of oppression of ourselves and of others. Now is the time that we need to heal and allow Mother Earth to heal as well. I'm ready to make that first step on a path towards healing. Will you join me on this journey? Please note, beginning with the month of September, we will begin releasing episodes on a bi-weekly basis. We are working on ways to develop new content for you, the listeners, in addition to our episodes and weekly newsletters. The new content will be released in the next coming weeks ahead. Thank you and stay tuned. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Sustaining with Shayna. Uh, as always, I'm always excited about every episode, but this one in particular is also another exciting one because it's less than 70 days till the general election, which is crucially important. And because of that, my guest that I have on today uh, is a friend of mine and also running for local office here to share about why they're running for local office. So Tara, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Tara Zarinsky and I am running for state representative in the 138th district. I am a single mom. I have three boys and I am running for social justice and environmental justice reasons. And for the listeners that may not be local to our area, uh, what specific district is that in Pennsylvania? Like giving a landscape of that. Right. So the 138th district is in the Lehigh Valley. It's the western portion of Northampton County. Awesome. So when you talk about social justice and also the work that you've done and that we've done together uh, on climate change and environmental justice, what has been your biggest influence with that, especially uh, with the work that you've done in your community trying to champion for climate change? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the biggest influences was when I was a eco-feminist blogger for sharereporter.com. I was working on issues of uh, hydraulic fracturing and pipelines and things like that, writing blogs about them. And I met so many people around Pennsylvania and saw the direct and adverse impacts that they experienced that it really changed how I saw the whole dynamics of environmental justice, because it does have a social justice component because these corporations go into vulnerable communities and exploit their resources. And the people have very little um, resources to fight back, including like their financial resources. The one story that sticks out in my head so much is the, um, the mobile home development in Williamsport where Aqua America was trying to move their mobile homes to create a direct waterway to um, pipe production water out. And this vulnerable community was in the way and they wanted to move their mobile homes, which cost about $12,500 to move they were going to give each of those people $6,500. Now, there were 80-year-old people living in those mobile homes who had lived there their whole entire life. Single moms with children, middle class or, or middle-aged men and women and families just trying to make it. And it just broke my heart that they had no resources to hire a lawyer, that the ground literally was be being taken from beneath their feet and their homes were just gonna be demolished and they didn't have the resources to move their mobile home. It was, to me, it was heartbreaking. And there's so many other heartbreaking stories along the way that I acquired that I felt moved to do something. Mm -hmm. 
And wasn't, it was a couple years ago, I, I remember hearing you speak about it uh, as a Northampton County Councilwoman. Uh, and I can't think of, it was, it was a gas related issue. And I don't know if it was because of a pipeline or what, but I remember hearing your story of how being on the county council and all those issues, even there. So it's, it's all across our state and all these different issues that just aren't isolated to one community. They're not isolated because you have fracking in the northern western most part of Pennsylvania, but all the pipelines from to get the natural gas from those areas are coming through like Northampton County, Lehigh County, Montgomery County, Chester County, Carbon County. All of these counties are impacted. And what's really interesting is when I was a, before I was a Northampton County Councilwoman, and just sitting in the adjunct office at Northampton Community College talking about these things with my peers and colleagues, they didn't know anything about fracking. And that's mm. the whole thing is like six years ago, people in this area didn't really know about fracking. They had to have an education about what fracking was, how it was done, and what was coming into our area through these pipelines. And they didn't know. And, and as a local coordinator for Food and Water Watch, I did a lot to educate people in this area about the pipelines coming through, the risks, how to mitigate the risks, what needed to be done in their municipalities, how to intervene with FERC, and what to say during a public comment. You know, the public commenting with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has changed a lot throughout this process too. You used to be able to have a public comment in a public forum. And we had those at Northampton Community College, but they changed to your public comment being delivered in a room in isolation with only a tape recorder. Mm. That's how much this whole process has changed. And it's really taken the public out of the commenting, the public out of the process, and we have to restore that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, what was it, in some of the same circles with like that we've done uh, anti-fracking protests and demonstrations and, and events at, that I remember 10 years ago, people either had no clue what fracking was or had every single knowledge there is about fracking. It's either one or the other. And I just remember in that time since the early 2010s to now of how people have gone from not having a clue and you think you're, people thinking you're crazy if you know anything to now it's like everybody that has some sort of idea and those who are now directly impacted that 10 years ago had no clue or like well how did this happen why, why, how did we get here? And I mean, that's when the industry wins is when you have people who otherwise wouldn't have thought anything about this industry and now it's directly affecting them. And to some ways it's a little too late. Well, we've never really thought about it in Pennsylvania. I mean, I can, I, I know when I was a kid, I saw the Aaron Brockovich movie, right? And I didn't think so much of that, but that's literally like kind of stuff that we're going through today. Mm -hmm. And Pennsylvanians have become so conditioned to extracting resources because our history in oil extraction and coal mining goes so far back that people understand that they're being sacrificed for something larger, providing energy. And there's a sense of pride in it for a lot of people. And that's hard to shake. I mean, I, I just went out to Pittsburgh and I saw big, huge billboards saying, bring back coal. And I'm thinking, wow, this is so amazing that there is a, a, enough people that want to bring back coal when we already know how many problems coal brings to us when they have relatives in their family that have died of black lung and that they understand the seriousness of 
the risks and everything else that's involved in it and they still want to bring it back because pennsylvania is hungry for jobs pennsylvania is hungry to go back to work what I've realized is Pennsylvanians are hungry. Our wages are low. We have a lot of people living middle class to lower middle class here, and they're having a tough time putting their paychecks together, which is why environmental issues are social justice issues. And we have to talk about both of them in tandem because we need to make systemic changes so that people don't continually have to make choices that compromise our relationship with the environment and continue to exploit our resources at our own detriment the detriment to our health the risk and safety of our children and families and communities mm -hmm. absolutely and yet that's another reason why i'm running <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no better way to put that and as you're saying that I always keep coming back to this thought that as much as people don't want to talk about it, climate change, environmental issues, and environmental injustice goes hand in hand with racial injustice. And the fact that people who live in sacrifice zones or live in super fun zoned areas are those who are the poorest and those who are the most marginalized communities and i'm starting to get to the point and i i feel like you're probably the same with this is i almost feel like i'm starting to beat a dead horse talking about this because it's like if we can't intersect environmental injustice along with social and economic and racial injustices then then what's the point of us being here talking about this well the point of us being here talking about this is people are really starting to listen yeah environmental issues are coming to the forefront we see that maybe the whole new green deal hasn't been accepted but parts of it have we're pushing the needle closer to getting answers i mean we have a government that backed out of the paris agreements at the same and the same government is the one that issued the national climate report that told us how we're going to be experiencing climate change within the coming years we're in the northeast we're going to experience more flooding and what do we see more flooding we're going to see more forest fires in california it's going to be drier and hotter and what are we seeing every day these natural disasters are costing states and the whole entire country billions of dollars to mitigate and that's why people are waking up because they realize oh my gosh this is another tragedy and mm -hmm. because they don't these natural disasters don't only affect marginalized communities they also affect affluent communities and those affluent communities are stepping up and uniting everybody and that's some of what we need mm -hmm. um and we can't deny the fact that some of these marginalized communities are poor white poor mm -hmm. black poor hispanic and this is why the racial justice issue is also a component because now you have a broader group of people to unite because they're experiencing something that is very similar they might have not uh, experienced racism the same way but now they're experiencing an injustice that is environmental and economic that unites them. And that's important because that's a dynamic that I think is going to change the course in, in how we approach environmental uh, regulation, environmental changes, mitigating uh, climate change and transitioning to renewable energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So along with you saying that, I think it's important for Pennsylvanians to know and be reminded of is that we actually have a green amendment on the books and that the, this green amendment that we have a right to clean air and clean water and a livable environment, not just now, but for, for future generations, and how that really didn't have any legislative power until about seven years ago. And it just, it makes me think, how can we use that for a force of good 
while trying to address a lot of these environmental issues, even just within the, the state of Pennsylvania. So that leads me to my next question when talking about all these issues. What does climate change mean for you as a Pennsylvanian and running in the Pennsylvania legislature? Well, I understand that our Pennsylvania Constitution, uh, Article 1, Section 27, does give people the right to clean air, pure water, and to the preservation of natural, scenic, historic, and aesthetic values of the environment. Like, that is literally what it says. Our natural resources are public. They are a common property of the people and for generations yet to come. So to be a responsible legislator, if you look at that PA constitution, you have to see that what we're doing now not only influences the economy today, but it also has repercussions for generations down the line. So if we extract all of our natural resources, uh, even we're like number one in the timber industry. So we have that, we have mining, we have natural gas, we still have some oil, we have nuclear energy. If we look at all of that, what is it that we're leaving to like, let's just say seven generations down the line? Are we leaving them a strong economy or are we leaving them a depleted resource space where they're dependent on natural gas and these other fossil fuels because we have made them dependent and when they run out what happens because fossil fuels are limited so my child is going to live in an era where pennsylvania may or may not have any more fossil fuels so what are they going to do get them from another country or are they going to start developing renewable energy 50 years down the line when they could have done it now when we could have had green jobs now the regional uh greenhouse gas initiative would create 27 thousand jobs in the green industry in Pennsylvania. Yet we're still waiting to join. You know, there's an executive order, but the House is trying to overturn it. So when we look at these things, we think, how is it that we are going to mitigate climate change if we can't get out of our own way? And so we need leaders who are going to lead and who are not going to be bought and paid for by lobbyists or special interests or the fossil fuel industry. And that's one of the things that I'm going to the state house to do as well is to root out corruption and root out this injustice of unlimited gifts and unlimited campaign contributions. And I think that that is at the core of why we can't move on these climate change issues. It's money. It's greed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our climate is, is, and the people are the ones that suffer the most. Right, but our climate should not be used as a bargaining chip. Mm -hmm. um, that's our future. That's our children's health. That's our children's safety. When you talk about clean water and you look at what's hap happened in Flint, Michigan, and how many billions of dollars they're going to spend on settlement and redoing those pipes because they didn't want to do it right the first time. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, we really have to be vigilant about the decisions that we make because the decisions that we make today, we don't want to have to retract them in five or 10 years because they created an environmental disaster. We should have all the information now. And we do have all the information. There's hundreds of studies that show how fracking is bad for our health, for the environment, how mm -hmm. pipelines have risks and we shouldn't have them in residential communities. Yet we see that, was it in Chester County, the Mariner East is being placed in karst geology and they're having so many different problems with that. And that's karst geology is that calcium carbonate deposit that is prevalent throughout the Lehigh Valley and down through the uh, Northeastern part of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. We have to take all of this into account. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to make a quick note for uh, the listeners when you were talking about the Regional Greenhouse Gas Inventory, which is also nicknamed as Reggie. Reggie. Yeah. And how every single state 
in the Northeast, except for Pennsylvania, is not, or I mean, sorry, is a part of this. But that Pennsylvania is not. And the fact that Pennsylvania can't do a lot of trading with other states because of this. And what was it? Somebody from the governor's office came to a some sort of conference I was at last year and she talked about Reggie and just how the fact that other states are pretty much telling Pennsylvania they have to join this if they want to continue certain legislative relationships with other states. And it just goes to show how backwards our legislature is here in Pennsylvania that they're dragging their feet when they real, uh, whether they want to realize it or not, they're losing money out of all of it at the end. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of this shit comes down to money and only money, and it shouldn't have to be that way, but it is. But it's the money that's lining their pockets. Yeah. It's the money that they get by going through the revolving door and enacting this legislation and then departing only to get a job in the natural gas industry. I mean, we saw that with Mike Terzai. Mm -hmm. And we see that with other legislators as well. And so that's one of the reasons why rooting out the corruption is so important. I mean, we don't live in a state where climate change stops when you get to the border. We mm -hmm. have to recognize that climate change is something that is a global effort that we all have to do our part and we can't live in isolation we have to recognize that we need collaborative relationships with other surrounding states in order to mitigate this mm -hmm. and that's you know another reason why i want to go to harrisburg <laughs> yeah and represent the 138th district i mean i can't i can't say more how much I want a seat at that table so that mm -hmm. I can have a voice that represents so many people um, in my district and also across the state who are experiencing these issues. And I want to deliver those jobs that they're craving. I want to deliver the economy that they need. And I can't do that alone, obviously, but I can use my voice to get a coalition of legislators together. We have a Republican dominated legislature right now. We need to flip nine seats blue. That is what I want to be able to do. And I need to do that. My seat is open right now. The incumbent, Marsha Hahn, who I should say had an 8% environmental record, according to the League of Conservation Voters, is leaving and it is an open seat. This is a great opportunity to get an environmental activist ready and willing to work on day one elected. I just want to make a note there. So the previous incumbent for this seat, mm -hmm. their environmental rating was 8%. 8%, yes. Over, over a 10-year period. Over a 10 year period. 8%. Yeah, let that, let that sit. If you got that grade in school, how would you feel? Like that means you showed up one day, mm -hmm. maybe. That's unacceptable, unacceptable. Or, or to put it simply, you were, you had to make an effort to fail. Yeah, that was a concerted effort to fail. <laughs> it was like, I'm not looking at the books. I'm not submitting homework. I'm not taking the test. Yeah, that's, that must be an effort to fail on that part. Um, so with all of this said, and I kind of want to step back here a second and bring up fracking again in the sense that when did you first hear about fracking? When did you first get involved? And I know that that is a big pillar of what you're fighting for and you're fighting for a more sustainable future. But where, how, how did fracking ever become on your radar? So 
I was, I'm an adjunct professor and adjuncts are always looking for extra work because you can't live on an adjunct salary. So I was doing journalism and things like that. And I was looking for my next gig and this gig at shalereporter.com came up mm -hmm. and I got an email. I got a brief call from the editor. Um, and he asked me what I knew about fracking. And I said, you know what, I'm on my way to a class, but I really, I would love to answer this question. Can I call you back in an hour? And I researched everything I could on fracking in that hour so I could just talk about it. And there was so much that I saw. And by the end of that hour, I went back and called him and discussed with him what I had as a vision of four eco-feminist bloggers, because we were all women, talking about natural gas extraction, horizontal drilling, and the impacts on Pennsylvania as a whole. And Shale Reporter was, uh, was grounded in Beaver Butler County. And in that area, fracking was just coming to town. It was highly prevalent in 2009. And honestly, before that interview, I had not heard a whole lot about fracking. I was just like everybody else. Like I might've heard about it in, frac in, in, in passing, but it didn't affect me. So it was like out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. But when I actually saw what they were doing and read studies and saw how people were impacted by it, it's like you can't unsee it. You can't not see that they're putting carcinogens into the ground in the fracking fluid. You can't see, unsee the BTEX chemicals that they're putting in the ground. And this is at the same time when Gasland was coming out as well. So now all of a sudden there's this surge of information coming out about fracking that is penetrating that sacrifice zone and coming down through the Northeast because all these pipelines were planned. And being on the edge of that really made a huge impact on me. I couldn't, I couldn't stand there and do nothing. So my work as a journalist, as a blogger, instigated my activism. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have kind of the same antithesis as you have had. Uh, but I remember about the same time, I think it was maybe seeing Gasland for the first time as a film and just realizing that it's like, wait, this exists less than a hundred miles from my home and had no clue it even existed. And then I think it was summer of 2010 when I started looking at colleges, because uh, I was going in that fall, I was going into my junior year in high school and we did a road trip one summer and we looked at a couple well pads on the way to driving to one of the colleges we were going to visit. And it's just to see it in person is a completely different thing than just seeing it on the news or seeing it in a film or seeing pictures of it because there was nobody around for miles. There was, there was nothing really going on at the time but the fact that we pulled up to a well pad and just looked at what was going on to see it from our own eyes i swear to god probably within two minutes there was somebody from uh i don't know this drilling company that owned that well pad and it's like you come out of nowhere and must know we're there but then it's like the point i'm trying to make is it's just that the fact that you have this hyper vigilance of surveillance over a well pad but you don't give a shit about the people that live less than a hundred yards away from that well pad that it's like if anybody that comes to drive up and just wants to see for their own eyes what's really happening you care more about that than the welfare of the people that live around the well pad. And it was just really fascinating to see driving around that summer. And that was right as things started in our area and how 
just the landscape was becoming cluttered and poisoned by all these well pads all over the place. It was, ugh, I can't imagine it's what it looks like now. Yeah. And it's just, it's devastating. Yeah. It is devastating. And I think about like the Sauntners whose children were, uh, had a gag order on them too. Like everybody had a non-disclosure they couldn't talk about it. And now they're living in Florida, their house is leveled. And if you go by their house, it's just a leveled field. And that's in Montrose. And you can see that on uh, Beer Scroggins has, I don't know how many videos up. And her story is so interesting too, how Cabot Oil just made it so that she can't even move within her own community because they have made it so that she can't trespass uh, within like a hundred feet of any Cabot leased property, which means that she has such a limited area. She can't go to like her favorite Chinese restaurant. She has a tough time visiting her grandchildren. You know, when you think about how much of an impact those um, litigations and proceedings have on that, just that one person, and then you go to other states and, and I, and I, talk to people from other states, from like North Dakota and, and West Virginia. And in West Virginia, they were doing mountaintop light removal, where they're taking the top of the Appalachian Trail off, just, just topping off the mountain and putting frack pads there. And you're like, wow, you're, you're creating a whole new topography. Like you're, you're, the land disturbance alone is frightening. Because when you talk about land disturbance, there's so many other things that go into that. And I understand that the DEP had issues and the Army Corps of Engineer issues permits for these things. But now we have legislative bodies who are going and trying to make the permitting process streamlined so that it favors industries, so that it, the, the regulation is easier to go around. If you look, there's so many different violations that these companies have, and yet, mm -hmm. It's a slap on the wrist because their profit margin is so huge and it incorporates the fines that they have to pay. This is the injustice in these areas that is being done to the people who are impacted, who don't necessarily get um, any compensation for what's happening to them. And even if they did get the compensation, you have the lifelong issues of having to deal with that. Like, and having to deal with the environmental impacts. And it takes a long time for the environment to restore itself. And it's not necessarily gonna happen, especially when you're injecting over 700 different chemicals that are proprietary into the earth at, at just an incre incredible pressure. And you think we're doing this and there's another way, there's a better way and we have that better way, we just have to put some money into that. We have mm -hmm. to put some initiative into that. We have to put political will into that, but we haven't yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you're saying all of this, I'm thinking about the grand jury report that was released by uh, Josh Shapiro, the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, within, I guess that was early, early July, late June, that how all these reports that people were saying that uh, they were filing as far as health reports to contamination reports. And it just makes me think if you did your job right the first time, and if you did your job right as far as regulating this and addressing these health concerns, the attorney general of your state wouldn't have to release this grand jury report and the fact that not only are criminal charges i think being placed on these corporations but i also think from what i've been reading is that criminal charges might be placed on both health and dep officials here in pennsylvania and it's just like, it makes me think, just do your job right the first time. Well, and one of the issues with DEP is that they're underfunded. So mm -hmm. when you underfund um, a, a group that's supposed to be your regulatory body, they can't do their job effectively to make sure these inspections uh, happen. There's just not enough people. 
So we need to fund them. So that's one of the tactics that we have seen over the last like 30 years is that the budget gets eroded. People in office now, or a lot of people think that less government is better. So making less government means defunding these public entities that would oversee regulation and the free market will just regulate itself. I think we've seen what happens when an industry self-regulates. You get spills, you get leaks, you get explosions. And this is the stuff that we have to mitigate, but we need a stronger DEP. So we need to strengthen our regulations, not weaken them. We need to strengthen the DEP, not underfund it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then there's the same people that it's like, see, this is what happens when the government like is there and the government is like designed to fail. And it's like, well, that's sure, what when happens. you sabotage a, a government agency, yeah. This is like the same with public education. When you defund public education, yeah. It drives your property taxes up and it makes life harder. You know, you don't get the same quality education, but it's the same across the board with a lot of different issues is that this defunding of these critical public agencies that provide a service to the community and regulate um, the market, not the market, but the corporations that are involved in the market are just being eroded. Mm -hmm. And then problems happen and they're like, see, government, mm -hmm. ineffective government. Well, I think we should have a more effective government and in, a more effective government entails legislation for the people, by the people that will protect the people and not the rights of corporations. Mm -hmm. So with that said, uh, with all this knowledge and experience you have, what was what was the point at which you felt compelled to run for office or what was with all these experiences and and your passion with addressing these issues is there something that you could i guess point to that really made you want to run for office yeah, it was the Penny's pipeline coming into my backyard and trying to fight it and coming up against different municipalities and landowners where their rights were being violated. They were going to have their property taken through eminent domain. I mean, we, I've seen eminent domain used before and it always pains me to see it used on farmland or on historic land or preserved land and that's what was happening in northampton county and then once i ran i started listening to more people and i realized there are so many other environmental issues you have problems with um sludge mm -hmm. solid waste recycling all of these are cumulative impacts that degrade the water quality pollute the air and also you know impact the land and the health and the quality of the community. Mm -hmm. So I felt very compelled to run after 2016. I had worked on a campaign called For Our Future. And um, I had been an environmental uh, consultant in that campaign. And I had talked to so many people that I was kind of inspired that a woman could possibly be president and when that didn't happen, I decided, you know what, I'm going to run. I'm going to do this. I can do this. And maybe I can't be president, but I could be a Northampton County Councilwoman and I could protect the land and the people here. And now I realize that on Northampton County Council, there's so many things that the state mandates or that the state legislates that needs to change. And so I need to go up a rung on that ladder and make sure that the things that are happening at the state level, when they trickle down to the counties, don't make life more difficult for counties and legislators there at the local level, but actually make it easier to make these changes and to protect the environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, what was it last year? I remember I heard you speaking about your experience uh, 
as a uh, as a Northampton County Councilwoman and just like constantly going up against a wall all the time when trying to address this pipeline. Uh, and I did want to make a note for those who might not know about the Pennies pipeline that would be through Luzerne, Carbon, Northampton, and Bucks counties in Pennsylvania. My next question with that is, once elected, how would you apply your work in activism and clean energy to work, uh, to the work that you would do as a legislature, legislator, sorry? Well, I think that a lot of the work that I would need to do is to help in the transition that we have to renewable energy and to facilitate a just transition. Um, I know that a transition to anything impacts people, but the long-term gain is important. We need, we need that. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And I think there are so many other things that we could do with recycling. There's a zero waste initiative that needs help. Um, it needs support. There's, um, Senator Casey had, a couple years ago had uh, introduced the Trash Act. And that would help all the garbage that we're taking in from other states and that's going into our landfills. It would help mitigate that process of expanding more landfills and having nowhere to go with all of this. Um, we can revive that. We can join Reggie. We can make a sustainable pro policy and even a climate action plan at the state level that we don't have yet. So mm -hmm. there's so many different things to tackle. I mean, then you talk about PFAS, you know, these, this little chemical from Dow that has entered everybody's bloodstream and yet no one seems to think that that's a problem that a company can manufacture a chemical that is now in everybody's bodies and yet our regulation for it is about what is it 70 parts per billion and new jersey's is like 14 parts per billion regulated mm. and you think mm. to yourself wow our regulations aren't anywhere near what they should be so there's so many things that when I get to Harrisburg, I want to be able to do. If you, after the work that you do in Harrisburg, if you would want to be known for one thing, what would it be? Wow. One thing and one, one thing. thing alone. And why? And why? Wow, that, that question catches me a little bit off guard because like, <laughs> I never think of one thing. I think of everything within systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so I realize that everything kind of spider webs out and, and has a connection. Like I can't think of any one thing in isolation. But one of the things that I would like to be able to do is enact community solar. Mm. And you know, besides ending the corruption in Harrisburg, which seems like a heavy lift, <laughs> but one I'm willing to tackle, um, I think community solar would be something that would help, especially um, low-income communities that might not have the space on, on their roof or the means to put solar up, but they could share the energy. I'd like it I'd like to be able to make it so that we could have community solar in Pennsylvania and that we could have better solar proliferation in Pennsylvania. And that also the SREC credits would at least be in parity with other states, surrounding states. Because right now Pennsylvanians aren't getting the payback on their systems that other people in other states are. And it makes it even harder to, um, deploy solar in Pennsylvania and other renewable energy too. I mean, the, uh, the fossil fuel industry has done a great job of degrading 
all renewable energy, of making sure that it has no way to proliferate. When you look at what they've done to wind, you know, now we're counting the number of bats that are, that are and birds that die as a consequence of wind turbines. But what we don't realize is that the number of birds killed by house cats and, and felines is exponentially more than wind turbines. Mm. And we're not, we don't have laws against them. Do you know what I mean? So the arguments that they're using are often very emotional and very pointed to get people to not want wind turbines, to not want solar, to not want um, any form of renewable energy. And we can, we should, we need to transition because that's where real energy independence is. Energy independence is when you create your own energy, not when you mine it out of the ground or get it from another country that has mined it out from their ground. Energy independence is when you create it yourself. And that's what I think I would like to be known for. Bringing energy independence to Pennsylvania. Now that has a ring to it. <laughs> I like that. I love it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so before we kind of start to wrap up and ask a little more lighthearted questions, do you have any uh, major thoughts that you would like to share with the listeners? Well, I would like to tell the listeners a little bit about an eco jam that I am hosting. It's a virtual musical experience that will be airing on Labor Day from six to eight on, uh, on a Zoom link. You can go to vote for Zarinsky.org or to my Facebook page, Tara Zarinsky, candidate for state house, and purchase uh, a ticket. And then you have access to all these speakers and also all, these, all this musical talent that we're going to feature for about two hours. It's a really great way for you to wind down your Labor Day instead of turning on the uh, TV. You can turn on your computer and go right to uh, enjoying a great musical experiences by, I mean, we have a variety of music, jazz, harp, Dave Fry, folk musician extraordinaire, and a lot of other people playing um, rock and cover songs and then their own music. So uh, original music. So this is going to be something really fun that everybody can participate in and learn a little bit about and support me as a candidate for the 138th and support all the green and environmental initiatives that I would like to enact in Harrisburg. And just to make a note, so Labor Day this year is what, September the September 7th? September 7th, yep. Okay. And then what are the times again on September six the 7th? Perfect. So September yeah. 7th, 6 to 8. Yeah. And a, it's amazing to see what technology has done since COVID and the fact that we can do things like this, even virtually, and the fact that somebody that wants to support your campaign or tune in to the to the event can do it halfway around the world even and it's just it's amazing to see how technology can be used as a force for good for sure so with yeah, that being good. said uh what in your own words would be your def definition of sustainability well, I think when you talk about sustainability, it is definitely environmental. You have to be able to maintain something for a long period of time. If it's not sustainable, then uh, it means that it's limited or it has other barriers that will impede it in the future. So that could be economic, it could be environmental, it could be social. There's a lot of things now that sustainability entails and that's, um, I think what we have to look at and what I always look at is how things fall into a system. And so when we talk about sustainability, we have to talk about how our system sustains people, how it sustains the environment, how it sustains the growth of, you know, our economy and the health and safety of the people in it. 
-hmm. So all of that is a factor in sustainability. So if you could take all of what you just said and sum it into one word, what would it be? Justice. That's a good one. Yeah, I've gotten a couple, quite a few different ones over time, but I think yours is probably my favorite so far. Uh, so if you could, if you could pick any vegan dish out there, what would it be? I just was introduced to a vegan dish of like, what is it called? It's tarragon radishes. So you take radishes, you cut them up, you put them in a pan and you put olive oil on them and tarragon and it's amazingly tasty. Hmm. Like, you know how radishes have that real like strong flavor? Not so much when you cook them apparently. And then when you add tarragon, it's really special. Interesting. I grew both of those this summer. So I might as there well you try go. that. Yeah. yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. Cool. Um, if you could have a dream job in sustainability, and I know you've done so many things, what would it be? Um, I think it would be interesting to be a sustainability coordinator at um, a college. I think it would be interesting to help a college campus transition and then to go from one campus to the other. <laughs> like a migrant, <laughs> a migrant sustainability coordinator. Maybe that's a freelance job, I don't know. But I think that would be interesting to go around and, and, and just help people transition to more sustainable means of um, maintaining their campus, you know? Obviously the job that I have now, I love, I guess I would be a full-time professor, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I love, I love teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With you saying full-time professor and sustainability coordinator, it makes me think of, um, I can't think of her last name, but Kalina from Muhlenberg College, cause she kind of starting out before she was their sustainability coordinator, she did both of those things at the same time. Uh, yeah, and I definitely always, especially the first few years out of college, I, I always wanted to do sustainability coordinating. But yeah, it's a, it's a very involved type of job for sure. Definitely. Well, Tara, this has been an exciting conversation and always good to catch up and hear what you've been up to and to support you in any way I can before big election day happens on November the 3rd and seeing all the positive things that you're doing now for the community, but what you could be doing as an elected official for yeah yeah for pennsylvania for sure so it's been a pleasure well, thank you so much shana i really appreciate you having me on your podcast this has been awesome and i hope everybody gets out and votes november 3rd we should know that the vote by mail ballot is live you can apply for it just get it in early as soon as you get that ballot put it in the mailbox or walk it into your county election office Mm hmm Yes. And voting by mail, whether forces out there and talking heads that think it's not secure, it is. And that is a way that we can vote this year and especially during the time of COVID. Yes, definitely. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Sustaining with Shana. And I will drop information about Tara's website and her social media accounts as well as the event that's happening on Labor Day September the 7th as well as information about where to vote and when to vote because sometimes we do forget and all that great information so take care everyone
Thanks for listening to another episode of Sustaining with Shana. You can now listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and many other platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and, of course, leave a review or comment. To follow us on Facebook or Instagram, go to sustainingwithshana.com. Also, what you read and listen to here on the platform was carefully created and curated content made just for you, the listeners. Any generous donations can help to keep me supplying you with great content. Just go to Sustaining with Shana's website. Click on the donate page to donate. Glad you're here. Thanks a million for listening.